welcome to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast series. I'm delighted to host this podcast and share key trends and innovations for each of the 25 industries we serve. At SAP, we like to say that we speak the language of our customers, and this language is industry. We've been supporting all industries for more than 50 years now, and it's exciting to launch this podcast and discuss with industry experts the business value that they get from our solutions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Industry Insights Podcast by SAP. My name is Tom Raftery, and with me on the show today, I have my two special guests, Simon and Mike. Simon and Mike, would you like to introduce yourselves with maybe Simon going first? Good to speak to you, Tom and, and Mike. So my name is Simon Colshaw. I'm responsible for uh, business development strategy, um, go to market, which includes go-to-market strategy and business development for Atos in manufacturing across Northern Europe. Okay, and Mike? Great, hey Tom, Simon, thanks for the opportunity. So I'm Mike Lackey, I'm the Global Head of Solution Management for Digital Manufacturing here at SAP. Tremendous. And we're on the show today to talk about the idea of a smart factory, folks. So, you know, it's a phrase you hear bandied around from time to time in lots of different contexts. But just to kind of set a bit of context, can we uh, have a, a baseline definition of what you think a smart factory is? Let, let's have you go first, Simon. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Uh, so for me, a smart factory is, is is a bit more than just a concept which talks about manufacturing and manufacturing improvement. But it's a, it's a bit wider than that. It's about operating in a smart way across a business. So we... we are, a while ago, had a presentation I gave to a number of different customers, and we tried. What we tried to do was crystallise what we meant by smart factory, what what we meant by smart manufacturing, and we came up with a, a definition, which was that it was the implementation of intelligent, integrated solutions that enable manufacturers to digitally transform by connecting business strategy, people, processes, and technology to drive sustainable business value. It's a bit of a mouthful. Um, those words now, in there. <laughs> I, think, I think there's some key um, concepts in that um, because for me, it's not just about kind of controlling cost, quality, efficiency, et cetera. It's about joining up the silos that develop in a lot of manufacturing businesses and making them operate in a way which adds value to the business. So. And, and the use of technology in that is absolutely critical. So it's about integrating your systems of procurement, your systems of record um, with customer records, with supplier records, et cetera, and integrating those into engineering processes, into manufacturing processes, uh, so that it ensures that from a manufacturing perspective, you're making what the business wants uh, to make at the time it wants to make it for the cost that it wants to make it for. So in order to do that, you need to join up a lot of different component parts for business. So you need to procure at the right time. You need to be aware of when stock's going um, or needs replenishing, et cetera. So for me, it's about joining up a lot of different parts of the business um, with manufacturing as a central hub um, to all of that um, and driving efficiency through that, through that whole process, through that whole value chain. 
Okay. Mike? Simon, I think you did a great job summing it up. For me, I'm just going to just add a few concepts here or really just simplify it for me. You know, the smart factory and, and all of our customers are having initiatives, smart factory, digital factory, live factory, intelligent factory. They all have an initiative that's going to change the way they do. Uh, their business is changing in the future and how do my global operations support it? But that smart factory or that factory of the future is really driving to be self-correcting and self-enabling. I mean, we no longer talk about capacity. You know, Simon used to, you know, what's the capacity of a plant? It's not about capacity. It's about the ability to deliver on demand that changes dynamically, right? With social media, you know, one social post can change the demand and that demand signal doesn't sit there for, you know, for weeks at a time. It's there for a, a quick moment in time. And can you respond to it? Uh, and, and reap that benefit. So adding that expanded that expanded ability agility, I think, is what when we look at the smart manufacturing, what we're trying to get to. And it all starts with you know insights into data. We in manufacturing have been collecting data for forty years. There was a thing called the historian. Is what did you do with it? I think I saw a Simon and McKinsey study that said seventy percent of data collected in manufacturing is not used. Well, now with machine learning and the the, the, time, the speed at which we can analyze, not only collect and analyze big data, and then tell what does that impact on my business and what is the right decision that I can take, not just manually, but automating those decisions is what's really driving the smart factory. Okay, and what kind of external factors are leading us to uh development of a smart factory. I know we've seen worker shortages, for example, in some places. Is it that kind of thing? Or are there other uh, other factors pushing it? A drain on talent is, is certainly a big factor affecting it. Um, but I, th I think it's also, uh, you know, if you look at manufacturing, particularly in high wage economies, it's it's got to be done smarter because it's just not, it's not profitable in lots of cases. It's, um, the, there's also, I think, changing consumer perceptions, changing customer perceptions. Um, you know, you're talking about things like batch size of one, um, make much, much more make to order. Those kind of things are affecting the way in which manufacturers respond to the market, affecting the way in which they do business and, and driving the need for change. If you go back to some of the kind of traditional measures that manufacturers have been focused on, you know, through initiatives like Lean and Six Sigma, um, efficiency improvements, they've got so far, they, they can only take them so far without the use of technology. And um, technology now plays an absolute, it needs to play an absolutely central role in, in driving out greater efficiency and enabling new business models, enabling things like batch size of one, and not just from, I think, from a, an efficiency or a manufacturing perspective or, or a perspective looking at the bottom line, but also from an environmental perspective. It's, it's you know, absolutely clear if you look at most manufacturers' annual reports just last year, pretty much everybody's got an objective to cut carbon emissions by a large amount within a short space of time. And Smart manufacturing initiatives have a big, big role to play in that as well, I think. The resource shortage that we have, uh, I think, is just a symptom of the bigger picture here. Right. And, and guys, I was at a, a plant last week and on the on the door was a sign that says hiring immediately. 
basically come off the street. If you can fill out the paperwork, you're hired. I, I've never seen that before. And that just tells you the streams that we're going to. But, Tom, I, the smart factory is being driven by decisions in the boardroom. Businesses are changing. We, I think, Tom, we did a, a podcast not too long ago on, um, you know, on products as a service. Yep. You know, you may not be buying a vehicle in the future. You may be paying for kilometers. And that changes the processes in manufacturing. So business is changing. And business that's coming out of the boardroom, those what the future of their business is going to look like is driving this change down at the shop floor. I agree with Simon. Sustainability. Look, we've always tried to, you know, we talked about green, but there's so many big initiatives going with sustainability. Every factory has to report its carbon footprint that rolls up into that annual or quarterly financial report, you know, that goes to the financial industries. So that's driving change. So it's really business is driving the change and we can no longer, uh, you know, with what happened with the supply chains that we're seeing right now. Okay, my factory, I can't shut the factory down. What can I manufacture? Can I do 40%? I've got another factory in another country that is at 400% capacity. Can I move production? And that means you've got to have standard processes and you really, your business is dictating that your factories can no longer be siloed or single threaded. And I think that's the biggest reason we're seeing this move to these smart factory initiatives so that they can change with the company and the customer uh, the customer demand and the customer requirements of the future. Okay. And where are we on the journey to a smart factory? I mean, is it like there are a couple of proofs of concept out there or every single factory is now a smart factory or somewhere along that spectrum somewhere? Where Whereabouts are we, do you think? I, I think we're a very, very long way from every, every factory being a smart factory. I think... Um, we're just at the tip of the iceberg. Um, so if I, if I put it on a scale of one to four um, in, in terms of the journey to smart manufacturing, four being, you know, completely smart manufacturing and one being just the, the beginning, we've barely entered the first phase, I think. The, I, I think there are a lot of initiatives. Um, I talk to a lot of uh, CX level people within manufacturing businesses and we talk about smart manufacturing and the, the initiatives that they've got going on within their businesses and whilst they've all got some some form of initiative if you ask what difference is that making to the bottom line what difference is that making to the way in which you deliver your products are you able to bring in servitization all of that kind of thing um they almost always kind of retreat back and say, no, no, we've got lots of pilots going on, hence the phrase pilot purgatory, which I see all over the place. And I think the big challenge for manufacturers is the need to be able to move beyond that and and actually start doing this, this at scale. It's all strikes me as being quite ironic because, you know, Manufacturing is about industrialization, yet the kind of core process of smart manufacturing isn't being industrialized. And, and that's really the big challenge. And that, that's where we've been doing a lot of work to help manufacturers overcome that and actually get to a point where, where they can start to industrialize that and roll out at scale. Okay, Mike. Yeah, Tom, every customer is on a different spot of this journey. I think, you know, Simon did a very good summary of the industry as a whole, but you know the leaders are the ones that are investing right now. Their business may have changed, 
supply chain issues. They're not the ones panicking. They're the ones that are investing and know that when this, you know, we come out of this and the supply chain is not single threaded any longer, that they're going to be in that lead position. Look, it's changing complexity are the challenges of the smart factory. If you can't get workers, you're automating processes. You, you know, that that drives a lot of change. That drives a big investment. And, you know, companies have to be willing to step up and say, I'm going to invest today to get the benefits in the future. And there, there's a lot of companies I think that are well on that journey. And there's a lot, I agree with Simon, that are in the proof of concept purgatory. You know, I tell our customers, you need to dream big. What's the future going to look like in five years for you? And let's implement projects that, that have a big ROI and gets the executives behind it and finance behind it and then accelerate that, that delivery of that vision. And if we can do that, um, and just getting information to more people, we have a, a very large equipment manufacturer that they went to the smart factory because they realized that their deals were won or lost at the dealer network. And now they're getting more information in the hands of the dealers. So the dealers can better support their customers. And when you have that supply chain like that, or that's that sales channel, the more information you can put in the hands at that last mile in front of the customer, they realize that's where they win or lose. And that, you know, getting that information and expanding that outside the factory is a big part of it. So, yeah, everybody's on a different journey. The ones that are putting the foot, you know, on the pedal are the ones that are going to win in the end. And I think we'll be surprised who are the big winners when this is all out, who are investing and who's not. Um, you know, the, the brand is everything and uh, servicing your customer has to be at the forefront. Okay. I, I, I completely agree with Mike. I think that, you know, uptake on smart manufacturing initiatives, although there's a lot of buzz in the industry about smart manufacturing, actual uptake, uptake and serious investment into it has been slow. Um, but I, 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 I'm starting to see that pick up. And I think, like Mike says, you know, the, the winners are going to be the people who, who actually take the plunge and, and, go, and go for it sooner rather than later. Um, and, and we don't know what that's going to look like because I think it has it has the potential to lead to all different new types of business models that we, we don't even know about or can't anticipate at the moment. And are there any good examples of a smart factory that we can point to? Certainly, I think we've been we've been doing work, for example, with a large um, automotive manufacturer in Europe that has done a lot of work in this area, and is able to it has been able to demonstrate savings of around eighty million euros in the first year and a half. On on what kind of investment? On an investment of around 10, 10 million. Well, okay. Quite substantial returns in, in quite a short short space of time. And in fact, they've got plans to deliver a total of 270 million by the end of 2023. Um, and what they've done is they've, they've approached it from kind of first principles, very, very much looking at you've got to be able to measure things accurately and properly, first of all, before you can start improving them. So it goes back to something that Mike mentioned earlier, which is it's about capturing data, but it's not about capturing all data. It's about capturing the data, which is going to make the difference. So using some intelligence to sift out the data, which is important, I think is, is critical to that. And that's exactly what this automotive company's done. 
So they've sifted that out to get the data, which is really critical to their processes. And they're using that data to provide real-time insights to improve processes in real time, but also to provide information so that they can look at trends over time and and look at improvements which um, will be sustainable over a longer period of time. So that's a great example that I've seen. But again, it's just something starting simple and making it simple and easy to digest and easy to use for the for the operators using it has worked really, really well. Uh, that's one of the best examples I've seen recently. Okay. Mike, do you have any examples you want to speak to? Yeah, Tom, look, let's talk about automotive. And that's a great example that's going through a digital transformation. They're going away from linear manufacturing to modular where you know you have a work cell and it comes out of that work cell and you route the, the AGV to the next work cell. And I remember asking a, a plant manager, I said, you tell me you can make more product modular than linear. And he looked at me and he goes, we don't have any downtime. We, we don't have a downtime for changing to a model. We don't shut the plan down for a month or two months, whatever. We're always, if we want to add a new model or a new product, all we do is add new work sales and reroute based on the capabilities. Retail, um, let's just look at our friends at Alibaba and, and Amazon. You know, Tom, we used to could get something in 72 hours. We were happy, then it went to 24, and then it went to six, now down to two hours. Well, you know, the supply chain has got to respond. So retail, we're seeing a lot of customers. We have one big designer that is actually, you know, they're developing now. They can manufacture based on your size, your 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 um, the dynamics around you, the use of it in real almost in real time and, and increase that customer experience. So we're seeing a lot of factories in the retail really invest to have that better customer experience so that they keep that land, that brand loyalty as competitors come out of, you know, out of low cost countries and trying to take their market. They don't want to just compete on price. They want to compete on value. So we see a lot of factories in that area. And the electronics is another area. There's we talk about the chip shortage. You know, when you get the components, how quickly can you respond or how quickly can you deliver and what priorities should you be delivering on? So we're seeing a lot of factories um, in our electronics customers that have really changed instead of having dedicated lines per customer or per product. You know, they, they can now make multiple products in multiple time focused on changeover and making sure uh, that their quality levels stay up as they do this. So we're seeing a lot in the, a lot of different areas here. And I think those are the biggest. The medical is another one, Simon, we're seeing a lot of. You know, as the population is getting older, new devices are coming, you know, <laughs> out of left field here. But uh, these factories are really looking at how can they address their customers' needs. So, um, you know, we're seeing a lot in that area. Okay. Okay. We've mentioned sustainability a couple of times so far in this podcast, and it's a really important uh, topic and a topic that's only going to become more important. Uh, Simon, you mentioned, you know, emissions reductions. We're having to reduce emissions like 50% by 2030 or even higher in Europe. It's at 55% by 2030. The The whole goal of getting to net zero and, you know, the the outcomes of COP26, how how is that impacting the, the shift to a smart factory? Yeah, well, I mean, I, th- I think... If anything, they're accelerating it, and we're already seeing that. So, uh, a great example of that was 
the new Innocent factory that's been recently been built in the Netherlands, which was built to be net carbon zero. Um, so it reuses heat, um, recycles water. It's it's in a, a location which makes logistics easy and haulage easy across the whole of Europe. And one of the most interesting things about that, I think, for me, was the fact that it didn't actually cost any more than a, a traditional factory build. So it doesn't need to cost more. And the COO at Innocent, I, I heard recently at a conference saying that he, he thinks you can do the same thing on a brownfield site, that you can, you can introduce uh, decarbonisation initiatives or um, initiatives to cut your carbon emissions in plants, which will pay for themselves. But I think the use of technology in that is absolutely critical because you can't do it without it. So you've got to do it in a smarter way. And I, I think that's the challenge that, you know, is, is very much echoed in, in what they did with Innocent. They, they wanted to do everything in a much, much smarter way. And technology was essential to that. The other thing I would say in, in relation to things like COP26 are that it's driving at pace, I think now, some new business models, including for manufacturers, uh, because, you know, it's driving a whole load of new services, new products, new technology um, to enable manufacturing companies to cut carbon emissions. So there's, there's huge amounts of potential for uh, new business models and new businesses to grow up around all of that, which I think is, is also very, very exciting. Yeah, I think the shift to product as a service has huge implications for sustainability because if you are a manufacturer manufacturing something, if you are manufacturing to sell, then there's no incentive to get rid of any inbuilt obsolescence, quite the reverse. Whereas if you're building uh, products to get them out and charge for their utilization where you maintain ownership, then it's vital that you engineer out any obsolescence at all and you get the longest life and most utility possible from everything that you manufacture. And so therefore the, the amount of units work produced versus the amount of resources required to manufacture those devices, you know, changes completely in the right direction. So amazing, amazing. Tom, sustainability is, is, is hitting you know, all phases here. And you kind of look at how you manage your water consumption, your energy consumption. Those are all costs and those costs are variable. You don't really control them, right? The energy companies bill you for based on the summer when there's more, there's more demand, your rates go up. So how you control that helps with the profitability. But if we look at the heart of what we're trying to do is bring more efficiency. So if I have higher quality and more efficient processes, which means I have less non-conformances, which means I have less operations to make something. I will use less energy for that. The manufacturing network, our, our logistics network here at SAP, the fact that I can schedule trucks full versus half full, find a carrier that's got room on it. We're having less trucks on the road, less ships in the sea, less planes in the air, using less energy. You know, it, the whole supply chain fits in. And if I do better demand, I know exactly what I need to build. I order less inventory, which means less manufacturing is being done on the other, on the back end or, or the front end so that I can deliver. So the whole supply chain efficiency 
drives that whole, you know, circular economy, climate change that we're talking about. So that it all starts with how efficient can we be from a demand, designing what the customer wants, manufacturing, automatically planning our logistics to be more efficient and keeping our equipment operating at a very high level so that we burn less energy and we consume less. So, you know, it's a, this is a whole circular economy we're talking about reusing components. Also, from a manufacturing standpoint, we can trigger a lot to reduce energy consumption and greenhouse gases and, and carbon the carbon footprint. Yeah, I think it's a good point. The The whole idea of circularity means you're reducing the inputs that you're buying because you're reusing products that you've already bought. And then raising your efficiency means you are, you know, you're wasting less. Uh, to your point, in, in terms of energy and water, those are costs coming in. And they're also responsible for significant carbon footprint as well. So, you know, all great points. Completely agree. Yeah. Okay, we are coming towards the end of the podcast now, gents. Is there any question that I have not asked that you wish I had or any topic we've not touched on that you think it's important for people to be aware of? One thing I, I would add, Tom, is, is uh, around the point about how, how, do you, how do you actually get to a point where you can scale smart manufacturing initiatives? And... For me, and certainly what I've seen work well in that respect is where you base something on a solid business case, which identifies very, very clearly what you're trying to achieve and how you're going to achieve it. I think, you know, by nature, plant managers and people who run manufacturing businesses are quite skeptical about investments like that, particularly in technology, because they've seen lots of them fail. So having a business case which is robust, but also a clear explanation of how you're going to realize it and how you're going to actually attain the benefit is is really, really critical. I think sponsorship is another thing which is key. You need sponsorship from the top and, and from the board. It's absolutely critical and you need them people to be held account for delivering it. That said, I think, you know, you need an acknowledgement that not everything is going to work. Um, but some things will work in a really, really big way. Um, and those things that work in a big way will pay will more than pay for everything else. And the third thing I'd say is it, you know, it requires a leap of faith because someone, someone's got to stick their neck out somewhere and go, yeah, we're going to go for this. And people who don't, or businesses that don't do that, you know, stand quite a good chance of not being around for too much longer. Fair enough. Businesses that do take that leap of faith, I think, will end up being being the winner and they could look very, very different to the way in which they look today. Cool. Mike? You know, yeah, Tom, you know, the one question I get asked all the time is how do I bike to Apple? How do I get started down this journey? Whether it's a smart factory, live factories, intelligent factory, uh, this digital transformation. Uh, you know, I, I tell them a couple things. First of all, you have to understand where your business is going. You know, you've got to take off the blinders and look at what is the future going to look like. And if you understand it, then you can understand the business challenges you're going to have. And I tell them, dream big. You know, you want to build flexibility. When I was in a manufacturing engineer if, you know, on the plant, if we got a three to five percent return right, on efficiency, I got a big bonus. Well, today the board is saying, if you invest, I want double digit. Three to five isn't going to cut it anymore. I want 
20, 30, 40, 50%, even shoot for a hundred percent increase in different things. Uh, On-time delivery, stay focused on the customer, but you've got to find projects that are small, quantitative, that you can show how success can happen quickly. Then you build up all this political collateral where the CFO goes, I'm willing to invest, I'm willing to invest. And you take partners, you know, that like SAP and Autos, and then you you accelerate, you put your foot on the pedal and you accelerate these projects because they only last for a little period of time, right? And that's how you drive change. And you create an environment. You're always thinking like that. I can tell you two years ago, I would travel, let's just take China. And I get asked, I want industry 4.0 or I want smart factory. My first question would be, what's the business problem we're trying to solve? They didn't care. They wanted this. And now, all of a sudden, when I go back, there's this focus on this is where my business is going. These are the challenges. Help me solve them. And if you can identify where you're going and understand the complexity of this level of automation, what the worker of the future is going to look like. You know, they're not going to be putting things in the box or the product in the box or tightening the screw. They're going to be managing that automation layer. So are we educating? Are governments investing in this? And these are all the things that must come together. But dream big, act small, but be ready to accelerate. And that's how you're going to drive this digital transformation. And those are the companies that are winning that can look into that future, build a partner ecosystem that helps them on that journey and say, let's go. We're in it together. Cool. 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 Super. Mike. Simon, that's been fantastic. If people want to know more about yourself, Simon or Mike or Atos or SAP, obviously, or any of the topics we discussed on the podcast today, where would you have me direct them? Simon, you start off. I think that, I mean, they could visit our website, um, atos.net and go to the manufacturing page is a good place to start. They can talk, they can look at some of the offerings we've got around Smart Factory, um, including the facility to be able to come and talk to us and, and workshop through some of their challenges. Um, and I, I think that's where I'd, I'd address them to. Um, alternatively, they could contact me directly on my email, which is simon.colshaw at atos.net. Tremendous, Mike. Yeah, Tom, they can always connect me directly, contact me directly, mike.lackey at sap.com. But I'm going to throw this out there. Guys, we have a live factory running in Waldorf, Germany, Newtown Square, Pennsylvania, the U.S., and in Tokyo. Come take that tour with us. Let's sit down and look at what the future can be. And you can do, go to our lab, I mean, go to our website, sap.com, and you will find uh, tutorial, self-guided tour through what that factory looks like. Let's come, let's get, you know, let's smell the grease. Let's smell the old churning. Let's get set down in a factory and talk about how we can take you there. And we can bring, you know, our partners like Atos with us in that journey as we can have this conversation together. So that would be my challenge. Send me the email. Let's get you scheduled. Let's talk about what the future of manufacturing is going to look like together. Tremendous. Fantastic. Okay, Mike, Simon, that's been brilliant. Thanks a million for coming on the podcast today. Thank Thanks, you. Tom. Thanks, Thanks Tom. Simon. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for listening to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast. If you want to explore our industry portfolio to find the solutions you need to run your business better, faster, and simpler, please visit us at sap.com slash industries.